You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. guys i wanted to take a quick minute to tell you guys about our amazon affiliate link our new amazon affiliate link is peerpleasurepodcast.com slash amazon that's going to give us four percent of everything you buy through that link on amazon and it costs you nothing more than just buying your purchases and it just gives us four percent which is awesome helps us keep the lights on and we really really appreciate the continued support once again that Amazon affiliate link, go and bookmark it now, peerpleasurepodcast.com slash Amazon. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpus on Adobe Radio and Jabberjaw Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. We have some awesome guests on this show, and this one, again, is no exception to the rule. We have Mr. Dana Gould. He is a stand-up comedian, a writer for The Simpsons, He's the writer and creator of Stand Against Evil on IFC. Uh, it's a new TV show. As well, season two is coming out here very shortly. He's releasing records on Kill Rock Stars. His comedy records are absolutely hilarious. And Dana is an awesome, awesome dude. Really glad to have him on the show. Uh, and I'm going to keep this brief because I want to be able to get the whole thing on Adobe. And uh, I know you guys don't like listening to me talk too much. So, with that being said, we are on PeerPleasurePodcast.com. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. Check us out on there. Uh, PeerPleasurePodcast.com now has our mailing list set up, so you guys can sign up for that. We'd love it if you guys sign up for that mailing list. Keep up what's going on. Get the newsletter and all the happenings uh, with Peer Pleasure. So once again, that is PeerPleasurePodcast.com for all that information. So Dana uh, was a fantastic guest. Uh, thanks to Candace, his assistant, for getting everything set up. Dana's got a super busy schedule with filming and everything else for Stand Against Evil. Stand Against Evil is a pretty awesome TV show on IFC. It's like a uh, comedy and horror blended together. It's pretty interesting. Um, so definitely check that out. It does come out on Hulu here uh, this month of August, I believe on the 18th, he said. Uh, but I'm not sure. We'll definitely uh, follow up on that and put that in the show notes. Uh, but you can check out season one on Hulu this month of August. So uh, once again, thanks for Dana for coming on the show. Thanks for Portia from Kill Rock Stars for hooking us together. It's been a couple months in the works, and I'm glad it's finally coming out. And uh, we had a blast. So we'll see you guys next week. Uh, without further ado, here's my conversation with Dana Gould. So a uh, somewhat odd thing happened to me a couple of months ago. Uh, I lost my wedding ring. I was in one of those... Um, what do you call it? Uh, a divorce. <laughs> and, and now I have to find somebody new, which is easier said than done, because I was married for so long. I have nothing. I have no game. I don't know where the stadium is anymore. 
because I am. I'm so trained as a husband, you know, that's all I know. I'm just going to be staggering up to women in bars. Excuse me, I, uh, I saw you sitting there all by yourself. And I just thought you might have a long list of chores and errands you wanted me to do. Uh, maybe tomorrow I'll come by your place and uh, drive your mom to Target. And when I get back, you can be angry at me because I didn't realize something you thought. So Dana Gould, welcome to the Peer Pleasure Podcast. How you doing, my friend? I'm well. How are you, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm, I'm glad we got this set up and, and got you on the show. So are you down in uh, Los Angeles right now? Are you home? Yes, I'm in Los Angeles right now. I'm actually talking to you from uh, Santa Monica, which is where the post-production facility of my little TV show is. And it's a convenient, it's only about nine miles from my house, but mm-hmm. it's about an hour commute. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense, man. Five or six lanes of traffic and you can't go anywhere. Yeah. I just, I catch up on my podcasts. I listen to a book. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know, I only need about five minutes for the news that gets me enraged for the another 23 hours and 55 minutes. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I do the same thing on my commute to work. My commute's much shorter up here, but at, in the afternoon, it's a good hour and a half. But, uh, uh-huh. but yeah, I know what you're talking about. And, and after spending some time in Los Angeles touring and stuff, like I, I can't stand to go there. <laughs> but yeah. uh, well, I, I'm I'm from Massachusetts, but I actually love Los Angeles. I love living here. Um, I love California. Yeah. But uh, coming from a little town and a gray little mill town in Massachusetts, it's like I can't believe I'm here still. Sure. And I've been here for a couple decades. Well, the, uh, I never lose that. I never lose that. Uh, but it, it's an acquired taste. It's like the new Twin Peaks. It's an acquired <laughs> taste. I love it. I'm not going to foist it on anybody. Sure. Sure. Well, if you weren't in show business, do you think you'd enjoy living there or do you think you'd be miserable? No, I would. I would live out here. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. If I wasn't in show business, I'd still be in show business. I really don't know what else I could do. <laughs> You'd be on the street performing if you had to. Yeah, I'd be. A, I'd, I'd work at a movie theater. Or some, yeah, some kind of carny like job. <laughs> Man, so your 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 studio then your post production studio. You're working on uh, Stand Against Evil, correct? That's the that's that, the show. Second yeah. season's coming out November first, right? That's correct. Awesome. Just in time for Halloween. Oh. Um. <laughs> Yes. And so tell me a little bit about the show. I mean, we can start off with that. I think I, I have some other stuff to talk about, but but tell me sure. a little bit about Stand Against Evil. I mean, you are the writer and creator of this show, correct? Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, it only took me 20 years to have the most obvious idea. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, you know, I'm a comedian and I'm a comedy writer, but um, I love horror movies. That's always been my sort of, as my friend says, it's my football. Uh-huh. It's just what I like, you know, what I enjoy. And um, and it took me about 20 years. Like, what if I put them together? And, uh, you know, there are many ways to do it wrong, and there's only a couple of ways to do it right. And, mm-hmm. and um, what I just did is uh, I said, what if I just took – 
you know, I worked on, I was on The Simpsons and I worked on all sorts of shows. And every time I come up with an idea for a show, I was always thinking, what's a good idea for a show? And it mm. would it'd always be, um, you know, a, a variation of like, what if my wife and I had, you know, what if our kid was a robot or, you know, whatever. <laughs> I never did that. I did things that were as, certainly as lame. Um, and then uh, quite literally one day I just thought like, well, what if I took uh, a horror movie and just put my dad in the middle of it? Because my father, as I've described him, uh, I've described him in the past as Archie Bunker without the elegance and sophistication. <laughs> and he really is. And when I was when we were kids, my brothers and I used to joke because. You know, we all watched monster movies growing up. Yeah. Like we used to joke that if our dad was in one of the planes that was shooting at King Kong, <laughs> that he would break formation and go check the score of the baseball game and then come back. <laughs> you know, like, don't care. You know, why is that plane flying over the baseball field? Yeah. Um, and so, well, what if I put that like, what if I put a guy in the middle of a horror movie that absolutely believed in everything that was going on, just didn't care? Uh, you know, he just doesn't care. Yeah. And um, and that was uh, and that was sort of the origin of uh, the origin of the show. Uh, it was basically um, taking uh, that basic premise. And then uh, I was originally going to do it as a like a seven minute Internet, like a digital short. Uh -huh. um, and I was going to play my dad. I have uh, um, the guys that do the makeup for The Walking Dead. Uh, this company called KNB Effects. They're all really good friends of mine, just mm -hmm. from the quote monster community unquote, yeah. which is another reason I love living in Los Angeles. Uh -huh. There's a monster community, <laughs> um, and I called them up and I said, "Hey, can like can you make me look seventy years old?" And they said, "Sure." So I did a makeup test and it worked out really well. And then I just happened to be having lunch with my friend Pete Aronson, who is now one of the big executives at IFC. Mm -hmm. And and it never entered my mind to pitch it as a regular show because I didn't think anybody would ever be interested in it. And he said, you should write like a funny X-Files. And I said, I just did. That's really weird <laughs> to say that. And I pitched it to him at lunch. And he said, well, can you change, you know, these six things? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, go take a take a crack at it. And then and then bring it back. So, like, all right, I got nothing to lose. Yeah. Uh, when I kind of re-developed uh, the idea uh, a little bit based on my original idea, and I brought it back to them, and, the, and they said, yeah, we just bought it. We bought it just now. It's great. Go write it. Wow. And the way IFC, yeah, no, it was crazy. And the way IFC does things is they don't make a pilot. They they bought the script, and they said, now, now write the season. Write eight episodes. And I did. And then they, you know, it was me and two other shows and they had scripts for all of them. And, and we ended up getting the nod to go ahead. And, and that's how they did it. So we never made a pilot. The minute cameras turned, we were picked up for a season. That's uh, and it was, yeah, I got really lucky. Um, it stars, uh, it, it, it's basically um, haunted the Andy Griffith show. You know, it's like, it takes place <laughs> in a small town in New England where I, like where, like where I grew up, uh -huh. and uh, on John McGinley from Scrubs plays my dad, and yeah. Jan Janet Varney from You're the Worst, and uh, a really good friend of mine 
Also Very known as uh, Bob Slidell, correct? From the office <laughs> or, or uh, office space? <laughs> from office space, that's correct. The Michael Bolton guy, yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and Janet Varney, who's uh, the voice of Cora and uh, this, you know, gorgeous uh, uh, actress friend of mine. Uh, she's the co-star, and uh, and uh, they just they. Uh, I kept waiting for them to pull the plug and they never did. Wow. <laughs> just, yeah. It's like Patton Oswalt says a really funny thing that kids don't really learn to walk. They just manage not to fall yeah. for longer periods of time. <laughs> and that was like, they just, it's not, I don't consider that it's on the air. They just keep forgetting to kill it. Yeah. And you'll keep riding it as long as they keep forgetting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I really, uh, I'm having a great time. I mean, they're, um, we're doing the second season now. And I already have ideas. If we're fortunate enough to get a third season, I'm already cooking up ideas for that. So, I mean, it's really something I enjoy doing. I'm really lucky to have the opportunity. I'm not going to bullshit you. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, the and you're no stranger to writing. So, I mean, you had that part under your belt. But was it hard to write those eight episodes? Like, did you? I guess no. They they threw it at you. So, like, yeah, it was. Well, I mean, I hired some people to write. Like. I had a couple of writers come in and we broke the stories and then they said, all right, you go write the draft. And then, I'll, you know, you can't do it all by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but the tone of it is very, very specific. Uh, so I was always sitting on everybody's head. Um, and the way it works for me, there, there are two ways to do a horror comedy. Um, uh, there's like the, the comedy movie that's set in a horror movie, mm-hmm. like Ghostbusters. Yep. It's it's a comedy movie and it's uses the elements of a horror movie, but it's all played for laughs. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the ghost of Mr. Chicken, which is the same thing, which I think is a very underrated movie. I actually think that movie's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Don Knotts movie. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other thing, which is a horror, a comedy that's stuck inside of a horror movie. And uh, the best example of that is uh, An American Werewolf in London or Shaun of the Dead. Uh-huh. Uh, movies where the horror elements don't know that they're in a comedy. Where the horror elements are played straight as a heart attack. And the people, by and large, are funny because they're not behaving in a stylized horror movie way. They're behaving like normal people. Mm-hmm. And that's really what Stand Against Evil is. So I have these rules like the monsters aren't funny. The monsters never do anything wacky. They're very serious. They're very scary. Mm-hmm. We have gory stuff. We have scary stuff. And then it's funny because people aren't behaving in a stylized, screamy way. They're acting sarcastic and funny the way people normally do yeah and uh so you're kind of uh, it's always threading a needle um but it happens to be like the only thing that i'm good at it's really <laughs> you know what i aspire to do is what if the coen brothers made a horror movie it's, yeah it's kind of like, yeah okay well where did your love for horror come from like when did that start for you did it start really really early or did you kind of discover it later on uh, oh horror yeah I horror else <laughs> oh yeah your love of whores <laughs> well you are in well, la saw, so you are in the I city saw, i saw clute when i was a young man and then pretty <laughs> um, uh, no i uh i i don't know i i have four older brothers uh-huh. and my dad and uh, i have a young sister as well but they're all very athletic they're into hunting they're into fishing they play baseball uh you know very very athletic and i was sort of the runt and was never into that stuff. Uh-huh. And I just kind of, lo- as a kid, like I loved, there were certain things that I could 
that were like sort of mine that nobody else was into. Like every Saturday afternoon, Creature Features was on. Uh-huh. And uh, during the week at six o'clock, Star Trek was on. And, you know, in a very chaotic household, those things were always there, you know, so you really kind of like that was a that was a constant. I could always watch Star Trek and I could always watch horror movies. And, and they became sort of like my little comfort zone, my com- video comfort food. Uh-huh. Um, and I just got into them at a very young age. I was uh, I was a freak for uh, the Planet of the Apes movies when I was a kid at uh, at six years old. I forced my parents to take me to the drive in to see them. <laughs> it was, you know, it was it was. Uh, they still talk about like you, you just became a different person. You would not take no. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that was always just kind of, kind of my thing. And it never really went away. I, I always kind of, uh, stayed into it. And, and what I find as an adult that is into these things, there's really kids that grow up there. There's a name for them. I'll call monster kids and, mm-hmm. and kids that really grow up into horror movies. They go to two places. Uh, they either go into, um, uh, show business where they're nine times out of 10, they're special effects guys or makeup guys or, um, or, or, or uh, actors to a lesser degree. Mm-hmm. And I put myself in that category. Uh, the other 50% of them all go into uh, uh, music. A lot of your heavy metal dudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these uh, guys there, it's, it's 50, 50. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the, if you ever saw the movie Ed Wood. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I loved Plan 9 from Outer Space when I first discovered it in like 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Goldthwaite showed it to me. Uh, Bobcat Goldthwaite. And I was yeah. like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, I knew about it, but I never really appreciated how funny it was until I watched it with a bunch of people my age. Like, I was like, oh my God, this is brilliantly terrible in every conceivable way yeah um, and uh one of the characters from that movie uh was uh, vampira who sort of invented that kind of goth look she was the first person to host horror movies in the in 1954 mm-hmm. and she kind of you know morticia adams before morticia adams yes. she kind of had that look and she was a very famous uh los angeles personality um, and as such was in Plan 9 from Outer Space. Years later, uh, I ended up doing a documentary on horror movie hosts because I still think it's the only job I'm really qualified for. <laughs> and I got to meet her at the time. She was in her late 70s. Her real name is Myla Nermi. Uh-huh. And we became very, very good friends. And, and, and oddly, in, 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 I, you know, I saw the movie Ed Wood and then I lived it because my relationship with Myla closely mirrored Ed Wood's relationship with Bela Lugosi. Uh-huh. Very, very. Um, at one point in my life in 2000 and I guess three or four, uh, three, uh, I was a writer on the Simpsons mm-hmm. and my uh, wife and I had just had our first child. So what the, the, the one thing I didn't have was time, mm-hmm. you know, I had a great job, was making a lot of money and I was very personally satisfied, but I had no time whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And Isla needed to move because uh, the building that she was living in was being torn down. And and she was like, you know, I need a place that's on the first floor that will take a dog that was in two blocks of a grocery store where I don't have to cross a four lane street, like all of these things. And I was really Myla's 
for lack of a better term, ambassador to reality. <laughs> uh, but I didn't have time. So there's a there's a reason I'm telling you this story. It sure. goes to a certain. Uh, so there's a store in Burbank still there called Halloween Town, and it's just a monster store. It's open year round, and it's all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. It's in Halloween. So I walked into Halloween Town, and I pointed to a Vampira T-shirt that was for sale, and I said, "Do you know anybody that I can pay?" to help me find the woman on that t-shirt, an apartment. And the woman said, sure. (laughs) As if my coming was predicted in their biblical texts. (laughs) Um, And I met uh, this young guy who looked kind of like Alice Cooper and his girlfriend, who also kind of looked like Alice Cooper. And, uh, And we went out and find Myla a great place to live and we all became friends and, and that guy, when all, he was in a little band at the time, a little like goth rock band called Wednesday 13. Okay. And since he has gone on to become Rob Zombie's bassist. Yes. He is demon from Rob Zombie's band. And, uh, you know, he and I could not look further apart in terms of like the way we dress, <laughs> the way we look. But we're incredibly close friends. And he's a, the, the most wonderful human being. Uh-huh. And uh, and he's like the other side of the monster kid coin. Like I went into being a comedian and a writer. And he's in a heavy metal band or however you would categorize that. Yeah. Um, and uh, but we love all the same things. You know, we can tell you the difference between the creature walks among us and the creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> <laughs> It's all of these. Uh, it's all of these great things, and I met him through Mila, and uh, so you know it was really, really. Uh, it, it's a, It's this weird thing. It's like a secret handshake that you know, tells you, oh yeah, you know all of this stuff too. Great. Okay. Sure. I actually have. I've met that guy. Uh, I was working at a venue here in Portland uh, doing production, and uh, that band came through, and it was my first night actually settling the show. And so his tour manager, actually, I believe, used to man- tour manage Marilyn Manson. So we were talking about that forever. Sounds about right. <laughs> and uh, she told me, you know, why she stopped working with him and everything else. And then, uh, yeah, Wednesday 13, I know exactly who you're talking about. I think um, there's another music-based podcast called The Josta Show with Jamie Josta. He was just on there. and Big uh-huh. stuff happening for them. But that's funny. It's, it's so funny how closely connected everyone is. I mean, yeah. uh, do, you know, do you know Danny Bland? No, I do not. He's a tour manager. He works with Dave Alvin and the Blasters and that whole group. He's another same guy, you know, yeah. same, same guy. <laughs> yeah. I think she said something like if they asked me, to, if they asked me in Russia to turn down the temperature again, I'm quitting. These great people that, um, that, uh, you know, that you're all into the same, you all, you were all the kids that grew up not cool. Yeah. Exactly. I was trying to explain to somebody the other day why I don't like Springsteen. And, I mean, I like his music. I don't own any of it. Yeah. Uh, I, I appreciate that he's good. I don't knock him. I don't think he's bad. I know he's great. But it doesn't do anything for me. Uh-huh. And the reason is it's because he was beloved by the people in high school that I hated. Gotcha. You know, because I yes. was a weirdo. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was always, I know I like the Ramones. I like the guys that make fun of 
you know, especially like when I got out of high school, it was right when he sort of became like a buff jock looking dude. Mm-hmm. He wasn't the scrawny weirdo anymore. Sure. The mechanic from Jersey or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I was, like I graduated in 82. So the born in the USA was two years later. And, you know, it was just like became a, you know, a muscle dude. Yeah. But um, and I was like, no, I like the Elvis Costello in the room. I, I like people that look like I'd hang out with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But he's, you know, he's a, he's a lovely, apparently he's a lovely guy. But it's what I'm actually, I, I'm actually friends with his sister. She's a mom at our school. And I think one of the reasons we're glo- close is because I've never, ever, ever, ever asked her a question about her brother. <laughs> it's funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> Wait, I, I am a person still. People yeah, are still interested you? in me. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't imagine being having a relative like that, where you know, a worldwide superstar, and just yeah. you know, is anyone actually my friend? You'd never know. Yeah, exactly. It'd be just exactly. anxiety ridden. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you're at a level too. I mean, of celebrity, where I mean, does your brothers and uh, your brothers and your sister get asked about you all the time, or what you're doing, or anything like that, or is it? I mean, you have uh, well, a good amount of notoriety. Uh, I have some notoriety. Yeah, they. I mean, they. I live in California and they live in Massachusetts. But I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's at the point though. If my name comes up and they tell them that they're related to me, people don't believe it right away. Uh-huh. Um, but, but that's also just that's that's a very New England thing. I was talking to my sister-in-law this couple of years ago, and she goes, uh, "It's at Massachusetts. You're in show business. Is Tom Cruise queer?" You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I I don't I don't and I and my I was like I don't know she was ah you're just jealous like, <laughs> what what? <laughs> oh my god I, how did this turn into an attack on me yeah so I don't know <laughs> yeah just is David is Mick, yeah is Mick Jagger married to David Bowie I I don't know <laughs> I don't know if they are I hope they're happy ah you're jealous oh god no, I don't David Bowie. <laughs> it might as well be an island over there, man. I, yeah. <laughs> apologies to the Massachusetts listeners, but uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's its own. It's David its own Bo- world. Yeah, David <laughs> Bowie was married to a beautiful black chick, and Mick Jagger looked like a baby bird. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, man! Well, you escaped that whole that whole scene and made it out to Los Angeles. I, I mean, and you so you graduated eighty two. That's the year I was born, and you were doing comedy pretty much when you graduated, right? Like seventeen, eighteen. I yeah, two weeks after my high school graduation. So you've been doing I, comedy as long as I've been alive. That's insane. Thirty five <laughs> years. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Jesus. I'll keep Jesus. doing it till I get it right. Yeah, I think you have, man. But, but very, but I'm very immature. Well, that's part of the game, isn't it? I mean, it's one of those jobs you don't have to grow up. It's just like music yeah. with, with me. Like I, when I was touring, I I felt like I was on hold for that six months we were on tour, and then I'd come back yeah. and kind of unfreeze. All my friends were graduating college or having kids, and what'd you do? I played the same songs ninety times. You know, like yeah. you it's don't have to grow up. Like, it's like being a carnival worker. You know, it's just that we're and it is weird because when I. You know, I started doing stand-up when I was 17, and I went to college and all that stuff, but I was always just, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a comedian. And when I was offered the job on Simpsons, it was originally just a day a week, 
punching up jokes. Uh-huh. I was like, well, I can only do it on Monday or Tuesday because then I would be uh, three weeks a year or two week. I mean, two or three weeks a month I go on the road. So they're like, okay, fine, no problem, don't sweat it. Uh, Tuesdays, and then uh, I was six months from getting married. My wife and I had bought a house together. And at the end of my contract for just doing it a day a week, uh, they said, uh, you want to come in every day? And I'd never thought about it. And I was like, well, yeah, that's kind of, yeah. Because <laughs> you know, I was getting married and owned a house. I'm like, yeah, it would be, it'd be like I'm a grown-up. You know? Like, yeah. And I did for like, you know, for seven years, I had a, I had a, uh, a little... ID card that would get me into the gate at the lot. I'd get up every morning, go to work, you know, write jokes at home, park in my, you know, had a parking space at work, had a parking space at home. It was like p- pretending to be a grown up for seven years. And, uh, and by the end of it, I really wanted to blow my brains out. Yeah. You, <laughs> <laughs> you tried it on and it didn't fit. I tried it on and it really, I, it was good for a little bit. It was like, especially like, we got, you know, when our kids were babies, uh, it was great. I, I loved uh, the, I loved being Ward Cleaver for about three years. Uh-huh. And, uh, and that was plenty. Man. And then I was like, I gotta, I gotta go back to my weird carnival life. Sure. Yeah. Well, well what is it like? I mean, I've talked to a few comedians on this show before. I do a lot of musicians, but I, I had Kurt Braunauer on and Emily Heller yeah. and, and, uh, that's you, great. Yeah, they're fantastic. And I love talking to comedians because it's very similar to music. Same kind of lifestyle, except oh. you're alone a lot more. And, exactly. 100%. 100%. What is it like touring for you? I mean, you're you're in the... So you were... I mean, you've toured both married and... You're divorced now, right? I am, yeah. Okay. So you've, you've toured both before, during, and after marriage. Uh, so, yes. I mean, now when you're touring and you're alone all the time, I mean, how do you deal with that? Is it, does it affect well, you? Well, here's the thing. When I was married, I had lots of opportunities to sleep around, uh-huh. but I wouldn't take them because I was married. Sure. Now that I'm single, there seem to be no opportunities to sleep <laughs> around. I don't know what happened. Um, <laughs> um, uh, uh, no, I, um, I mean, I'm, it's a, that's a, that's a tricky question. Because it, uh, my, my road life is really truncated. I usually go out on like a Wednesday or Thursday and I'm back on Sunday mm-hmm. and I, I don't have, I, I don't go out like on a tour, like I've gone out for four months. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, it's just kind of in, it, it's in and out. And, uh, you know, my kids are little still and, um, you know, I, I'm really into them. And so it, it, it's really what it really boils down to is uh, two Saturdays a month I get to sleep. Mm-hmm. That's about it. I hear you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, and then I'm, I'm back. I'm back home on Sunday. But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. I was never a substance abuser uh, or, a, or, or a big boozer, so um, I, I don't really uh, uh, have that create. I, I, you know, when I was in my twenties, it, it, to, to be to be blunt, mm-hmm. uh, here's the the totality of that. Um, in my twenties, 
in the 80s and the early 90s, um, I slept with more women than a guy who looks like me probably should have. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was for a while there. I ran up some good numbers, uh-huh. and uh, that's basically the extent of it. Okay. So you didn't spend a lot of time alone like some people yeah. do where <laughs> they're just in their hotel sleeping till they go well, on or whatever, eating oh, ice cream. I do now, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause now yeah, you can no, sleep. I, that's what it's like now, totally. Sure. Yeah, but... I can sleep and I you know, it's I have I have podcasts. And but but it's when you you know, when you're single and you're uh you know, alone, it's just that I used to joke about like you just lie in your bed and listen to trucks go by outside you're alone <laughs> you know, and you sort of you know you romanticize tom waits and you, know, sure. you, try, you try to legitimize your lame existence um but when you have kids and stuff like that you're alone for three days it's like a vacation so you can't stand it you know like you get paralyzed by freedom yeah yeah i definitely yeah. understand and, that one yeah oh, and God. and i sometimes i take a friend of mine uh, to feature for me. So, you know, it, it's all about quality of life. I have somebody that works with me a lot and we hang out. Yeah. Well, you've been over this career. I mean, you've been able to meet some really cool people. And, and uh, I mean, from, from George all, Carlin to, I mean, in the comedy world alone, you mean sit and chat with some amazing people. I mean, have you picked up a lot of things from these people it, along the way? Or, or I guess maybe even yeah, some things I mean, you that, don't want I mean, to I've do? Met- I've met all of my heroes. I met George Carlin. He was great. I met Albert Brooks. He's great. And I met Elvis Costello. He's great. I met Frank Black. He was great. Um, you know, these are the people that I idolized and looked up to. And I've been incredibly lucky that none of them were dick. Yeah. <laughs> because that would have really bummed me out. <laughs> um, I didn't meet Rod Serling. He would, he's another big hero of mine. I never got to meet. Yeah. Um, he died when I was 11. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that the biggest influence on me was probably uh, a Carlin uh-huh. in, in the regards of just I really admire his, his work ethic and I admire his uh, sort of like, this is what I do. Uh, you know, I, I, I write an hour of material and then I record an album and then I start writing another hour of material. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do. I write albums with the material the way Kurt Vonnegut writes a novel, mm-hmm. you know, and then I release it and then I start another one. And, uh, and, and that's really, uh, in terms of that aspect of my career, I adhere very strongly to that. It's just like, don't overthink it. Start, start, you know, I just recorded this album mm-hmm. and it comes out in October. So right now I'm grinding on cranking out, you know, getting on the next one. I, you know, I got about, I got, you know, I have pretty high standards. I got about seven new minutes I like and, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, the rest I chuck. Yeah. And uh, you just slowly rebuild it. And uh, it's, it's really fun and it's very exciting. And it forces me to stay out and go stage and you know go up at the improv when i'm in town and uh do what i do you know it you know when i was at the simpsons uh i didn't perform a lot because you're just you're just you know you're there all day mm-hmm. um 
when you get home, you know, and my kids are babies, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to go out at night when you're working all day. Sure. And uh, I would go like, I remember once I went six weeks without doing stand up and I felt awful. Um, I really felt like I had lost a part of myself. And uh, so, like, I'm one of those people that really has to do it. There's that story, I'm not comparing myself to this person, but there's a story of like when John Lennon had his. Uh, Sean, yep. the the son, <laughs> in, all of, in all of his magnanimity, the son he liked, um, the son he acknowledged, uh-huh. uh, but he left his guitar up on the wall and didn't touch it for a couple of years. I kind of like, yeah, I kind of know that feeling. I didn't really, um, you, you, I, you feel like, you know, I felt like I wasn't myself a mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah. That's one of the things I think that happens as you get older, as you realize that maybe Paul McCartney wasn't so bad and maybe John Lennon was kind of a deep sometimes. Uh-huh. One of the things you get is you, yeah. <laughs> you read all these Beatles stories, I kind of side with Paul on this one. <laughs> well, I mean, is, is comedy a therapy for you or is it just who you are? I mean, is it something that's so ingrained that maybe it's a little both therapeutic and uh, a calling of, of sorts or is it something you need to get things off your chest, get things out of your mind. Like a lot of musicians go out and just play the shit out of a show and feel yeah. completely clean afterwards as far as emotions yeah. go. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey. I want to tell you about some new releases coming up from Equal Vision Records. As you guys know, Equal Vision Records is my family, and so are these bands. I really want you to check these out. We've got Hot Water Music with their 10th studio album, Vows, out May 10th, featuring guest appearances by Dallas Green of City and Color, Thrice, The Interrupters, and Brendan and Daniel from Turnstile. See them on their 30th anniversary tour with Quicksand in the States in May and June and Europe in November. Hotwatermusic.com for more info. We also have Be Well with their new 7-inch, A Tap I Can't Turn Off, out now. First new music in two years from this band. This band is incredible, featuring members of Battery, Bane, Darkest Hour, and Fairweather. See them on tour with I Am The Avalanche in June. Equalvision.com for more info on that. And just your general information on Equal Vision Records, you're always going to find something you like at Equalvision.com. Go there for vinyl and merch from all of your favorite bands. Check out Hot Water Music's new record and Be Well's new 7-inch now. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, They have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. 
you and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. PeerPleasure.SupportingCast.FM is the website. There's three tiers, Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3. Tier 1 is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier 2 gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier 3 is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the past cast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the past cast. The past cast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest. Uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month, because I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. I feel like that. And I also, it's, it's like, I, 
for and it, let me clarify my John Lennon thing. I don't want people to think I don't. Yes. Like, you know, it's like you really like we were a band and it was great, and then suddenly John's girlfriend was the band, and no one talked about it. <laughs> like, yeah, it's kind of a douche move. Yeah. <laughs> you know, about three phone calls. Can she, do you mind if she comes? Yeah. Um, uh, I can do that. Um, I, I think that, uh, yeah, and it's also, false modesty aside, like, I, it's fun to do something that you're good at. Yeah. You know, I don't, I, you know, I think there's anything I do better than just kind of standing on stage talking into a microphone. And so when you do that and you you feel like you're doing what you do and you do it well, I mean, that's a, that's a good, uh, that's a good feeling. Yeah. Okay. And you it's have- hard now, like, I have to limit... Like what I don't want to do is it, it, it's a, we are in such crazy times right now. I have to really approach how I talk about politics very carefully because you can't let it overwhelm you because I think audiences, certainly my audiences, they're high, you know, they, you, they want you to acknowledge it because it's the elephant in the room. But I think they spend their day buried in it mm-hmm. and they need a bit of a break. And and then there's the creative aspect that it's kind of a layup creatively to just shit on the president. Mm-hmm. So I try to find an interesting way to do it. Uh, and so that, that's that been really tricky. Mm-hmm. And do you so yeah, you just I, finished this record you were talking about? Is there a lot of political comedy on this record or do you try to keep that off the records just to not date it? I mean, or, or is that even no, in your I, mind? I, I, I don't mind dating it. Uh, you know, it's 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 a record of its time, mm-hmm. quite literally. All right, and uh, and you know, all of my albums have, you know, it's mostly evergreen stuff. But there, there's always a couple of things that the time that it was recorded, and then I think that's fine. I, it, it gives it it pins the album date and time. Uh, you know, George Carlin has bits about Nixon on Class Clown. And, uh, you know, it's like maybe one or two bits, but it's sort of like, yeah, this is in the early 70s and this is what's going on. And that's the context of this. I, I don't mind doing that. I have a little bit about it, not a ton. And, you know, what I like to do, I don't want to just come out and, you know, make fun of them. I think that's too easy. Mm-hmm. I approach it with the sort of the false compliment like, you know, complimenting something about him that clearly underscores how terrible he is. That's the best way to do it. <laughs> the, 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 ironic, the, the ironic compliment. Yeah. Yeah. It, I definitely uh, understand yeah. that. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, I, an example would be that I, you know, people love the president. Half the country loves the president. And they like him because... They see him as being tough and people think the president should be tough. And you know how you know he is tough? He never complains. <laughs> I think of him, I think a strong, silent type, you know, like those old Westerns when Clint Eastwood would ride into town. Why isn't anybody complimenting my poncho? <laughs> oh, my God. You know. Yeah. And that way you kind of. You slide it past the haters. I was in Portland and a guy threw a bottle at me. I mean, like, it's it's, it's uncharted territory. In Portland? That's in Portland. insane. They threw a bottle. Conservative op-ed Portland. 
Oh, yeah, my God. a very mild some ding dong in a camo hat, you know. Oh, I had a roommate up here that was a comedian, and he was a mailman. Uh, his name was Danny Norton, and he he was a mailman, and he was the most depressed comedian I've ever known. And he would just kind of like, oh, I got to go out and do a show, and he'd dress up like a mailman. And he he never told us how the shows went. And he came in one day and threw down the Mercury, which is the local free paper here. And he's like, yeah, that happened the other night. And it's Comedian Strangles Cowboy with Microphone Wire. And <laughs> apparently he was getting heckled. And he's dressed as a mailman. He's got his mailbag on and everything. And the post office found out about this and hated it and basically told him to stop. But this guy was heckling him and he was drinking a beer at the bar. And, and so Danny finished and apparently walked over with the microphone, put it around his neck, pulled straight up, choked him off his chair and walked out. <laughs> and it was in the paper. And it was just insane. I was like, oh in Portland? God. Even back then, it was the like hipster capital of the world. Like, you don't get stuff like that in this town, it seems like. You know, everyone, it's where young people well, come to retire, is what they say. You know, and it's, it's like <laughs> the brilliant. progressive, uh, you know. And, and so it's really weird to run into someone like that in Portland that's that, you know, uh, that that far to I the mean, right. I mean, it's just, I, I started... Yeah, when I started out, I had jokes about Reagan. You know, people uh -huh. were fine. You know, <laughs> you know, he's the first president that you can't make fun of. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's because, and, and Patton Oswalt said this, it, you know, because he does seem to be able to get away with everything that everyone else thought, yeah, now it's my turn to get away with everything. <laughs> and if you look at uh, it only, uh, his immunity bubble doesn't extend beyond himself at all. And I think... Uh, it might not extend for himself for a full term. We'll see. Yeah. Oh, my God. I just want to write a crazy person. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. So, I mean... Yeah. Somebody within the, within the bounds of normal crazy is all I want. Yeah. We you have know? to be a little bit crazy to think you can run an entire country of people, you know, or, or to even want that position. Yeah. You know, you're not going to find Absolutely, someone that's completely but, 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 unnarcissistic and, you know, they got to have some of that. Absolutely. But you can't keep up with it. Yeah. You, you, it's so we're all just punch drunk. It's like, like living in it. It's like being a child growing up in a crack house. There's just like I, I you know, just today, you know, in the past 72 hours, you know, six things happened that would have derailed any other president for a year and a half. It just, yeah, that's it. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. Yep. He told the guy, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I think the Democrats should just keep going out into national parks and seeing if we can find somebody who lives under a log, like some kind of goat man, and uh, let's just run him. Let's just outdo him. <laughs> if elected, I will eat the head off of a bird and just... People are gonna say, "Yeah, it's just Jim Brewer, man, the, <laughs> the goat boy, or whatever." Carnival. <laughs> <laughs> no one's allowed to come into the country anymore. <laughs> <You> know, just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's say goat boy. Yeah, get, get goat boy out there. Let's get Baphomet from the Do album cover. <laughs> or just throw Jack Black in there, man. That would at least give everyone a, yeah. a glimmer of hope. You know. Exactly. <laughs> Some sort of evolutionary hiccup. Yeah, exactly. 
Man. Yeah. That's fantastic. I, I just had uh, Keith Morris from Black Flag on uh, and Circle Jerks on the show uh, this week, and he went off about how he what he would do if he was president, and that it was absolutely hilarious. You know, <laughs> but I didn't even ask. He just went. He was like, "All right, so uh, yeah, if I was president," and it went on for like fifteen minutes about what he would do. It's pretty. <laughs> it's pretty hilarious the things he would do. But but we got into all sorts of things. I like and, that he's. I like that he's given it some thought. Yeah, you could tell. You could tell he's thought about it very long and hard. And uh, he's doing stuff with Jack Black now, movie-wise, and that's what made me think of it. But uh, it was absolutely hilarious, and he would be a fantastic president. <laughs> he had so much He had so much amazing things to say, and there would be, I guess there would be a lot of people that would uh, look differently on that situation. But, oh, my God, absolutely hilarious. <laughs> but, I, like that, I like that that's what he said. What is amazing, like not to go down this rabbit hole, but, um, you know, people did hope, well, maybe he's not that crazy. Maybe he'll rise to the occasion. Like people were ready to give him the benefit of the doubt. People don't want the president to be a lunatic. Uh-huh. And he couldn't wait to trash it. Like he, he couldn't wait. And, uh, but what, what, you know, if you read the, you know, the, the, the elements of narcissistic personality disorder. It's, it's textbook. Yeah. You know, it, it's all right there. Yeah. <sighs> you can be many things, but not surprised. Yeah. My favorite was when people said, no, he, he just wants to show that it can happen. And then he's going to quit. Like this, yeah. is how, this is how fucked up our system is. And I'm quitting. It's going to be someone else. Yeah. I just wanted to show you anyone can do this. Nobody gives power away. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. It, absolutely not. And well, Dana, I wanted to talk about brief, and I, you know, I like I said, I love talking to comedians because I get to laugh the whole time, and it, I appreciate that part of it. And and, uh, but <laughs> I was part of part of what I was was wanting to get into is is uh, when I was kind of talking about you know being alone on the road, and you wrote a a really good article a few years back in in for Rolling Stone, I believe. Um, oh, yeah. you had yeah, some fantastic points. And I know we've lost a lot of people recently, and I know you you knew Robin Williams, and and uh, when everyone was kind of up in arms about that and didn't understand what was going on in his head, right. um, and uh-huh. I wanted to talk about that a little bit, just how why comedians and and a lot of musicians too, Speaking but a lot of comedians of- are so depressed. And well, I think it's uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, are comedians and musicians depressed or do? depressed introspective people become comedians and musicians Mm -hmm. um i i I think it's i i I think there's a lot of of that and with robin specifically you know robin had a physical physiological malady he had lowe's body dementia and quite literally the chemistry of his brain changed Mm -hmm. and he, he quite literally was not himself so you almost have to exempt Robin from this category, but I, you know, Drake, Singer, Richard, Jenny, I know a lot of comedians that have taken their own lives. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I think it's one of those things where, uh, especially I can't speak to musicians cause I'm not one, but you know, comedians, it, it's a, it's a profoundly solitary lifestyle, not only in terms of, um, you know, traveling alone, performing alone and, and living, alone, but you're, you're alone in your head. You're not, 
with a band. You're not, you know, sort of psychically linked to four other people mm -hmm. doing the same thing. You are literally, uh, you know, alone in the middle of a crowd. It's the how people, it's how depressed people feel, and it's the definition of what a stand-up comedian is. Sure. <laughs> you know, you're sure. standing in the middle of a crowd. Um, so... Uh, it, it's sort of the perfect uh, occupation for people like that. And the same brain that makes the good stuff makes the bad stuff. You know, the, the more creative my, uh, you know, uh, positive brain uh, creations are, the more creative the negative ones are. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and if there's not work and stuff to kind of keep you plugged into life, you, it's like the Pac-Man, you know, he just turns it, you just turn around and start chewing yourself up yeah. and nobody wants that. And, uh, and, and I think that that's a lot of it. And, and then you have to, you know, you have to work really hard to not, you know, isolate. Like I intentionally stay incredibly busy. I have a, a TV show. I have a mm -hmm. podcast, I have a stand up career and I have kids and that's to keep me really busy mm -hmm. and out of my head and and engaged in the world because uh me alone with nothing to do is a you know it's it's the old expression when i'm alone i'm in bad company yeah yeah i mean there's just so but much insight in that article i mean it it's it kind of there's a henry rollins wrote a, an article about weightlifting talking about as the iron and it's something that has been up on gym walls across the country and it was just really insightful and i feel like this article kind of does the same thing for depression and suicide i mean you sum it up so well uh you know one of the one of the lines that stood out to me was was we were talking about you know you have a car that goes zero to 100 in six seconds and you do you not expect it to do the same in reverse i mean it's just yeah. very <laughs> clearly put to where it really just kind of kind of opens things up a bit and, and i was really impressed with that article and that's why i wanted to bring it up because I mean, it's, oh, it's an issue that a lot of people, you know, affects a lot of people. I mean, um, yeah, and, and I think it probably affects just as many drywall installers as comedians. Sure. You just tend to read about them as much. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, yeah. It, it, and, the, you know, the sort of the irony of the, the, the sad clown and the Pagliacci stereotype. But um, uh, it is it is odd uh, that. um it's not if you've never thought about it. If, if you thought about it for a second, it makes mm -hmm. people whose you know life is dedicated to humor and hilarity probably have the other side of that coin somewhere. Mm -hmm. And the you know if you are somebody who is isolated and self-medicating, then you're creating a perfect storm where this is only going to get worse. Yeah. You know, um, I take antidepressants and when I first started taking them, my, uh, you know, my, my psychiatrist said like, you know, there's a, there's, it's probably not a coincidence that the only member of your family who isn't drunk all the time has this issue. <laughs> you, know, you, you, can medicate, you can medicate with a sledgehammer or you can medicate with a scalpel. It's really up to you. Uh -huh. And, uh, and, and, you know, so that's, that's started that. And as I, you know, I, I say this on the album, but it's true. It's like, you know, when I started taking them, some people that are, you know, sort of more homeopathic in their orientation said like, 
you're still feeling your anxiety. You're just masking it with medication. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> That's what it says on the label. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to block it. Yeah. When in the wintertime, I still feel the cold. I mask it with a coat. Because yeah. I'm a cow. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude well oh my god i always oh i knew i'd that... be laughing this whole time <laughs> i knew it i knew it's gonna happen did you hear the springsteen interview on uh on wtf no no that's I... illuminating he talks a lot about his depression which is very illuminating it's like yeah yeah bruce springsteen is depressed it has nothing to do with how rich you are <laughs> true that makes it even worse i could think because once you have everything you want and you're still unhappy where do you go from i th- i saw vanilla ice talking about this where you get all this money and then you realize uh you've got everything but i'm still feel shitty so what's the point mm-hmm. and it makes sense but it's just a shitty place to be you, th- you know but he doesn't still have all that money <laughs> no no he doesn't <laughs> He's got a home remodeling show, I think, is and and uh, oh, good for him. Yeah, he might need a writer. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I'm at that point in my life. Ah, good for him. Ah, good for him. Oh man, yeah, my my bar now is so low. <laughs> yeah, great. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, I, I took my daughter to see uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. And like, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> Paul McCartney's in it. There's a pirate boat. I loved it. Oh, I just took my daughter yeah. to see Wonder Woman. I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to. I, you know, yeah. The first thing that goes out the window when you have kids is seeing bad movies. Ironically, uh-huh. like no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. That's 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 a, a time luxury I do not have. Yeah, I had to dig deep yeah. into Yo Gabba Gabba to find interest. Where I believe it's Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo does all the music for that. I was like, wow, that's there it. is cool that's stuff. And so then I'd be like, cool, I'm picking this out while my son's sitting there spaced out watching, you know, this giant green guy yeah. eating carrots and singing about it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then it gets like my oldest daughter is 15 and she's hilarious. She's hilarious. And and we like, you know, we watched Doctor Who together. We, you know, last night we uh, binge watched the last three episodes of Doctor Who and it's kind of like our little thing that we have. It's great. It's, it's, it's the best. It's the best. Yeah. We can share those interests. Do you, do you let her watch any of your stuff? Um, I, I don't, I don't, I, she watches the, and against evil, I wouldn't want her watching my stand up. Not that there's anything in there that I don't want, but I don't put anything out. I, I assume at some point they're all going to ingest my output. Some, uh, my, my my work output at some point yeah um my, my oeuvre. and uh so i'm very careful about what i say yeah and um and um you know their their mother and i don't have a contentious relationship so i don't there's none of that there's nothing negative about anybody they know or love um and uh so um but so yeah i know at some point they're gonna but i don't they don't really care it's interesting if you watch the simpsons 
there's a character that is my oldest daughter, Ling Bouvier, who is the adopted Chinese daughter of Selma, mm-hmm. Marge's sister, is based on my oldest daughter. I wrote the episode and it was based on my experiences adopting Lulu in China. Mm-hmm. And her design is my daughter's baby picture. I gave that to the animators and I went, make her look like this. And, uh, and now she's a character on the show and Lou is really funny. And she was watching the Simpsons and she came on and I went, Lulu, that's you. And she's like, yeah, yeah. No, honey, that is you. That's, I wrote that episode where that character was introduced and that she's based on your baby picture. That is literally you. And she went, yeah, I like Bob's burgers. (laughs) (laughs) Cause it's still still your dad's job. Yeah. You know, like it's like it's not cool of them. <laughs> just, my dad's, just my dad's job. Yeah, they were more impressed that I. They were more. They were so much more impressed that I was that I wrote a video game than that I had anything to do with this. <laughs> You're gonna have to go straight YouTube content now if you want to connect with your children at this point. Yeah, exactly. be a YouTube star. Yeah, I have to find out who Miranda Sings is and all that stuff. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. I all to look forward to. Yeah. Man. Well, Dana, it's been an absolute pleasure and an honor, man, to speak with you tonight. Oh, and I really appreciate you coming on. Um, Candace, your assistant, absolutely uh, just a gem. And uh, so on top of things and made sure every detail was covered. And, uh, you know, sent me all the, the stuff for the show and... And uh, you got you got good people working with you, and uh, yeah. you've got quite an impressive career. And uh, oh, thank you kindly. I really appreciate it. And uh, um, I don't know when I'm coming back up to Portland. It'll be at this. It'll be this year at some point. Well, there. The uh, you said Frank Black was one of your heroes, right? Where yes. they're playing three nights up here. They just added a for the Pixies. If that's the Frank oh, Black you're talking know? about, but the, yes, that, that's the Frank Black I'm talking about. Yeah, they. Uh, they just added a third show because it kept selling out like hotcakes. Where is, where is the show? I believe they're at the Crystal Ballroom. That's usually where they're at. Um, I believe that's where they – because he lives really close to there on the hill. Um, yeah. But I, I think it's at the Crystal. Crystal. I'll look it up. I'll shoot it over to Candace, uh, the info yeah, on that. Yeah, I would even I would even fly. I, was, I went down a little Pixies YouTube rabbit hole just this morning. Awesome. Yeah, they're amazing. And they when they play Portland, I mean, of course, it's, it's packed, but – um, yeah. I'm sure you could pull some strings and get in there if you were to come well, up. But... I, I can pull some strings. Yes, I would hope so. <laughs> if I can pull some strings, you can definitely pull some strings. <laughs> You're making ropes out of those strings. But, uh, yeah, and we're we're coming down for a podcast movement there in Anaheim at the end of the month. I'm not sure if you, okay. you're going to that with your with your show. but um, No idea. But, but, but please give me a holler. Yeah, I will. Oh. I will. It'd be it'd be good to uh, meet up or whatever. But um, yeah, I love it. Yeah, awesome, Dana. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and enjoy the rest of your night and and uh, good luck with the show and and uh, I'll be in touch. Thanks very much. Let me. Can I get two plugs in? Yeah, absolutely. Please do. Uh, the album is on Kill Rock Stars. It's called Mister Funny Man, and it's coming out, I believe, in October. And then Stand Against Evil season two premieres on IFC November first. And season one goes up on Hulu August 18th. Fantastic, my friend. Thank you very much. And I'm going to put all that information on the website, show notes, and all that stuff, too. So we'll make sure everything's linked up and uh, get the word out there. (laughs) (laughs) You got to do it, man. You got to do it. (laughs) Got to sling. That's actually what Robin would say when he would go on the road, even late in his career. He goes, got to sling that hash. Yep, that's absolutely true. (laughs) 
Serve up the best hash you can. That's right. Got to keep slinging that hash. <laughs> well, right on, Dana. Well, I'll be in touch, man. Thank you so much again. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dana Gould, the very hilarious Dana Gould. He is on Stand Against Evil is the show he created, wrote, and uh, is filming now season two. And definitely check that show out on IFC. He's got a new comedy record coming out on Kill Rockstars. Definitely keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, very big thank you to Portia, Candace, and Dana for coming on the show and getting everything set up. It's been a couple months in the works, and uh, we had a blast. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. We are on PurePleasurePodcast.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter. Definitely check us out there. Definitely go to PurePleasurePodcast.com and sign up for that mailing list. You're going to get a lot of cool stuff, a newsletter, everything keeping uh, up to date on what we got going on, who's coming up guest-wise, and news that way. So definitely worth signing up. PurePleasurePod at gmail.com is the uh, email so you can get a hold of me if you need to uh questions comments concerns definitely reach out on there and next week we have riley and ed breckenridge from thrice and less art on the show talking about their new band less art and also a little bit about the new thrice record so definitely check that one out they'll be on next week and the week after that we got another awesome guest coming up and we'll announce that soon so once again thank you guys for listening thank you for staying in touch with me and giving me guest ideas and everything else Big thanks to Dana Gould. I hope you guys really like having these comedians on. It's been a blast talking with them. So uh, we'll see you next week. And as usual, we'll see you on the radio. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.